0: A heads up before I get into this week's episode, you'll be hearing some pretty harsh descriptions of violence, particularly against women. It may be triggering for some listeners, so please keep that in mind. This is the Tan Report, and I'm your host, Han Trung. In the scenario of a sinking ship, you'd probably hear someone shout, women and children first. It's this widely accepted code of conduct that has roots in what's known as the Birkenhead Drill. The HMS Birkenhead was a 19th century British steamship that was carrying troops when it sank in 1852. Of the 638 people on board, 193 were saved, including all the women and children. As history tells it, that survival story captured the imagination of the world, and a protocol of prioritizing the safety of women and kids was born. So why am I referencing the Birkenhead drill? Well, I was hoping to contrast that classic notion of the safety of women and children being so highly valued, to what has been happening lately to some women in the streets, and in many cases, in the homes of New Orleans.
1: We are seeing women coming in physically, I mean, just black and blue. We've seen women coming in with no teeth in their mouth. All of their teeth have been knocked out. Um, bleeding just a couple of weeks ago, someone came in, her eye was swollen shut. She was beaten so bad, so the it's getting more intense. It looks totally
2: different, what we're seeing today versus what we saw 15 years ago.
0: Put a finer point in
2: that, how? So, when we were young in the game, we would go maybe months before we seen a gunshot victim, probably a year. In one week, we had five. This year? Mm -hmm. With
3: bullets still in them. With bullets
2: still in them. We had one week where they had two well, rolled over by a car, bleach pouring, biting.
3: I mean, it's just, it's horrific. Right, a lot of what we are seeing has turned very sadistic. One, especially with the biting. So imagine me having to get very, very close to you to bite you under your clothes.
0: The, the three voices you just heard are from women who work at the New Orleans Family Justice Center. In a different era, I guess most people would have called it the Battered Women's Shelter, But that wouldn't capture all the Family Justice Center does for local victims.
2: Hey, how you doing? So once they get off the elevator, this is the Family Justice Center. And as you can see, our mission is the New Orleans Family Justice Center. It's a partnership of agencies. We're dedicated to any family violence, child abuse, sexual assault, human trafficking, stalking, in one center location. So, hi.
0: I recently visited the center because following multiple murders of women in New Orleans these past few weeks, some involving mothers getting shot in front of their children, city council member Helena Moreno mentioned what the center has been seeing. The working assumption is some of the murders were perhaps an extension of domestic violence, and at the very least, a targeted shooting. It was a point New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell tried to get across at a news conference following the deadly shooting of two women in the Treme neighborhood of the city. Some said the timing of the comments was unfortunate.
4: So as it relates uh, to the violent incidents in the past, I would say 24 hours in the city relative to women, uh, what I will say is none of these acts are random at all. And what we have to understand that women also play a role in violent activity in our city. And so um, they will remain under active investigation. uh, What the New Orleans Police Department continues to demonstrate that their investigative practices bring real uh, cases, uh, not only to close, but arrests that are being made.
0: Reporters followed up with more questions, and the mayor repeated her view that women also contribute to violent crime in New Orleans.
4: It is a mixed bag, if you will. But one of the things that we do know uh, from the tireless work and efforts of the New Orleans Police Department that these incidents are not random. And what we also know um, is that Uh, unfortunately, uh, people are involved in criminal activity in our city and it plays out on the streets of New Orleans and it is all genders, right? And we're seeing that. And unfortunately, especially as we approach Mother's Day, you know, that we have women in our community that have been murdered, right? Gunned down, but definitely not random, but we will not rest because at the end of the day, it's traumatizing to everyone and those families. Those women matter, still and all, regardless. They have loved ones, and you know what? They need justice as well.
0: A few days later, the mayor apologized.
4: If I uh, offended or hurt uh, anyone based on the comments uh, that I made in referencing uh, women, and I'm talking and speaking, I guess, from a more of an investigative standpoint, I get more information on what's happening, um, on the streets of the city, in homes, in families. And, um, and sometimes, I believe, I know when I spoke about it, I kind of wove all of those things together. And I did not intend to hurt anyone, uh, and did not even intend to make light of uh, the women and the families uh, that were impacted. So my heart just remains uh, very heavy, and I uh, am very um, sorry for that, I apologize. And so, um, but we have seen, and again, as I talk about from the investigative standpoint, um, uh, that we're just seeing, again, uh, young women are increasingly associating themselves uh, with people that are involved in uh, illegal or criminal activity, and also as this relates to
0: uh, domestic uh, issues as well. Back at the New Orleans Family Justice Center, I got a very small glimpse of what happens when people are victimized by domestic violence. Misty Fry, the Associate Director of Client Services at the center, was gracious enough to take me around. One of our stops was at its medical clinic located on the bottom floor. That's where I met Andy Mahoney.
2: I'm a forensic nurse. I'm a sexual assault nurse examiner.
0: I'm ostensibly being asked to see them
2: because they've survived some form of domestic violence and or sexual assault. So I'm, I'm looking for injuries, life-threatening injuries. I'm looking also for other kinds of abuse, like sexual assault You know, underlying the domestic violence, uh, sexual assault with continued threats or risks to safety. Uh, I worry especially about strangulation. And then we worry about things like HIV and STIs and unplanned pregnancy and how to keep people you know, how to treat those, address them, and then also keep people safe and prevent them in the future.
0: I was surprised at first to find out that the Family Justice Center had its own clinic, but it makes perfect sense. Considering the physical condition some victims are in when they come into the center, they'll need medical help before anything else. If the survivor needs assistance from a full hospital, the Justice Center will arrange that.
2: So the second floor is where it really all starts.
0: The second floor is the reception area. It's where the staff can provide a better picture of the situation through what's known as a lethality assessment. Misty and Katrina, the intake coordinator, explained the purpose of that assessment.
2: It's made up of questions asking about the uh, situation with their perpetrator. Things that may involve, like, does he own a gun? Has he ever choked you before? Has uh, he ever threatened to kill you? Has he ever threatened to kill children? Right. Yeah. Has he harmed your animals before? It's just all about the behaviors and the abusive pattern that they may have experienced with the perpetrator.
0: And is that more for your purposes to apply the help, or is that more for the survivor to understand what they're facing? Yeah. How, what, what is that like?
2: It's more for the survivor. It's more for us to sit down and talk to the survivor about where they're at and where they're at and they and they danger zone with this uh, perpetrator. It's not for us, because they're going to get help regardless. But it's more of making them aware, hey, you fall into increased danger, severe severe danger, or extreme danger.
0: On average, the New Orleans Family Justice Center sees about 3,000 new clients every year. That's not 3,000 clients in general, but 3,000 new clients. The executive director, Trishanda Grays, told me people from all walks of life are walking through their doors.
1: Wealthy to below the poverty line. You know, six figures and above to below poverty. Domestic violence does not discriminate at all. We're seeing women from all types of backgrounds, all different races, creeds, ethnicities. When I first started working um, at this agency, I, I've come across seven, several people that I know Personally, um, a little surprising, yes, but domestic violence does not discriminate. The perpetrators, they range as well. Um, you know, you're, it could be a, a very wealthy perpetrator to someone who's below the poverty line. It, it just does not matter. We see it all.
0: Trishanda says they're seeing more people and more specific types of attacks this year
1: the numbers have certainly increased um just from strangulation alone. like we do ask our survivors have you been strangled and i know just from last year compared to uh now this month in may 48 percent more women have been strangled
0: can you put your finger on why the numbers have increased why the number of women coming here has increased
1: more women are finally coming forward to seek services. I think because there's more services that are available for them, um, there's more that we can do to assist them, so I think that may be why they're coming forward. Um, And the violence is getting more horrendous, and so sometimes they just have to come forward to receive some type of assistance.
0: So it could be a combination of women actually taking that initiative to seek help but it also could be attributed to a rise in violence against women as well, then?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Misty says for people who have been stuck in a domestic violence predicament, the isolation period from a couple of years ago only deepened it. She believes some of the increase in clients at the Justice Center can be attributed to the extended lockdowns during the pandemic.
2: It's a number of things. We had COVID, and we also have the economy. Um, women, in, during COVID, we had, where well, the The whole world was basically shut down, right? So that impacted women, children, families, because now, whereas you used to get out and you used to have a safe haven and you used to go out and socialize, now you're confined to this one area with your abuser. Everybody was there. Really no escape. I mean, you you could have probably made a call to receive services, but you was confined to that area. So what you think happens? The abuser has total control, total power. So when you see us trying to shift from not being confined to homes and coming out, you're gonna see the aftermath of being confined to that one space with your
0: abuser. Put a finer point on that because I think, and just for my own education, if we were cooped up for you know, the majority of 2020, mm-hmm. and you know, we started coming out maybe a little bit in 2021, so if 2022, we were two years removed from the height of the pandemic. Why would we see that rise in, in violence two years later when we were more confined in 2020?
2: Well, I'm gonna tell you why. Because even though we had that confinement in 2020, it's still it's a long-term effect. I am there. I'm gonna stay because I have no choice. But now, as time comes and I be able to move around and get my freedom, I may be making decisions that my abuser no longer can control. And he may feel like he's losing control, to whereas now I gotta do something about it. Because I had this person confined to this location, and now as the world is reopening, I'm trying to regain my own stability. For me, that's a sense of losing their power and control which could be a sense of you seeing the height in the crime that you're seeing because we're coming from being confined to one single location to now I can move and be free and socialize and do the things that I wasn't able to do for two years. Remember when you talk about abuse, it's power and control. And when they start feeling like they're losing that control or that power, they're around to do anything to be able to get that person back to where they had. COVID COVID wasn't a safe haven for victims of domestic violence. It was hell when COVID came, because you was now in in pretty much caged in and couldn't get out. You probably couldn't even make a phone call. You probably couldn't even get online. So that's why you're seeing it. Because that's why.
0: I, I guess, you know, this is my simple brain playing it out now. Now that there's more, more I don't want to say freedom, but there's more latitude and there's more movement for victims and potential victims of domestic abuse, they're able to try to move away from that source of abuse. And that causes the conflict then. And that's why you have these pursuits in and outside of the home.
2: Yeah. So that's always the issue. Even on a normal case, if you take COVID away before COVID existed, the survivor, it takes seven to 10 times before they actually make that escape to leave.
0: Seven to 10 times. So seven to to 10 instances of abuse. and
2: Before they make of trying to leave
1: they actually leave
2: Leave. yes seven to ten so thank you you add COVID today I can't leave because you can't go here everything was shut down there was nowhere to go everybody was operating in this bubble and so for uh, survivors or victims that was that was not a safe haven so when the world still started to move and shift you see them coming out but it's a danger it became a danger time for them now it's a danger zone for them
0: I'm just wondering from your professional perspective When you see those murders that played out in recent weeks, do you view them as domestic acts of violence that played out in in public?
1: I do view them as um, domestic violence acts. Um,
0: This is Treshonda Gray's again, the executive director.
1: You'll find with those that they're more, um, I don't know if I want to use this word, more personal. Like, you know, it's... Um, just recently someone was shot and rolled over. So it's an overkill. Um, And usually to us that kind of brings like red lights. It's like, okay, that's definitely something personal. And we tend to associate it with domestic violence. Yes. Yes.
0: Is this the typical pattern that you see, the escalation of domestic violence that plays out and it boils over to the point where they're now getting murdered on the street?
1: It just depends. It it really does. It just depends. I don't think we can make like an actual correlation.
0: Whatever the motive, more women in New Orleans have been targets of deadly crimes coming out of the pandemic. According to crime data, 36 women in New Orleans were victims of homicide in 2022. That's the highest number of female murder victims since 1996, when there were 42. But that was also before Hurricane Katrina, when the city's population had roughly 70,000 more people. Numbers aside, Trishonda says the net effect on many women is an overwhelming sense of fear.
1: Just having this conversation with other women, they're scared. I mean, women are scared to go to the gas station. They're scared to go to the grocery store. They're scared to leave out of their house after a certain time. Women are scared to go out in broad daylight. So it's a really scary time right now.
0: I don't want to reference specific cases, but has it been the case that you've had women that have come through your center here that have ended up murdered?
1: Yes. Yes. We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. I'm outraged as I think the entire community should be outraged. Um, and I think, just like the saying goes, it takes a village, I think it's going to take the whole community coming together to combat this, um, this violence against women, because it's a crisis that's going on right now. We're, we're in a crisis.
0: Trishanda says easy access to guns is a major factor in domestic violence cases and violence against women in general. But there's no one-size-fits-all remedy to this growing problem. Even if guns were taken out of the equation, domestic violence can remain a real threat. Here's Dion Bowman. She heads up trauma services at the Justice Center.
3: Our survivors are coming in, and when they're doing the lethality assessments, we have about mm, 20 questions that's asked to determine their lethality. And some of the biggest things was, is, does he own a gun? Yes, he owns a gun. I may have never seen it, but he does own a gun has he ever used a weapon against you? And they'll say no, but then we'll think, like, has a knife been used against you? Has he ever tried to hit you with a car? Yeah, that's a weapon. So sometimes they don't even know what is happening to them. They know it's violent. They know they don't want it to happen. And the biggest thing is they just want it to stop. I
0: I think it's very easy for, for people who are not in your line of work to say, why don't these women just leave the situation? They they what, why them. are they, why That's are the they so? That's the
3: dumbest question. Very dumb question. How do you question. address that
0: when somebody says, why don't these women just leave?
3: It's not safe. Mm-hmm. That's the best answer I can give you. It is not safe for her to leave. And we are not in her shoes. So we don't know what she deals with on a daily basis. That's why when they come in or when they will come in shelters, I was, say, thank you for trusting us, right? Because I don't know what you're dealing with at home. Right. And then I'm trusting you to tell me about him and how you can figure out how to be safe in this situation. Because after we do this fatality assessment and the safety plan, you may still have to go home. So what does that look like for you? How do we keep you safe there?
0: Pardon my ignorance when you say that it's not safe for her to leave. Why is that? I mean, if the source of the abuse is at home, wouldn't her leaving the source or being away from the source be safer for her?
3: What does that mean for me financially? What does that mean for my children? Um, He may be the only source of income, or he may not be the source of income. However, he may watch my children when I go to work. So as much as he is harmful, he is also helpful. So we have to really
1: look at the whole person.
0: Do we even know the overall picture of domestic violence? Because you're only seeing the, the clients that come to you.
1: Right. We're only seeing the clients that come to us. So. Just who knows, just like you just said, who knows how many people are still suffering in silence.
0: According to the New Orleans Health Department, there were more than 9,000 domestic violence incidents in the city last year. But again, those are the ones that have been reported. So far this year, the New Orleans Police Department reports that four people, two men and two women, have been killed because of domestic violence. Earlier this month, the NOPD's interim superintendent told the city council that new strategies have helped bring violent crime down by 17 percent compared to last year. Chief Michelle Woodfork then appeared on the Newell Norman show just hours after those two women were shot to death in Treme.
1: Last night was not a good night. The night before, kind of the same. It seems as though conflict resolution uh, is maybe the biggest challenge right now, that we're immediately going to gunfire.
2: Exactly. Last night was um, not a good night, and um, my condolences go out to um, uh, the um, victims and the families um, uh, of that incident that occurred last night. And actually, over the past uh, couple of days, um, it's been um, a lot of uh, gun violence. And, um, you know,
4: you're right. You know, we need to um, find a way Uh, to be able to solve um, issues that we have with one another without um, using guns,
2: without
0: the gun violence. I started this story talking about the Birkenhead drill and the idea that the safety of women and children come first. What became clearer to me after my visit to the New Orleans Family Justice Center is violent crime, whether on a domestic level or in a public one, can put an untold number of women and children in a position where they're trapped in trauma.
1: It impacts the entire family. More children are having to be placed with a family member, the grandmother, the grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know, godparents. It's, in, it's affecting the entire family. Because when think about it, if it's a mom and a dad, they lost both parents because they
2: lost their mom and the dad is gone forever. So now they're staying with family members or relatives.
0: I didn't think about just the simple thought of where do these kids stay when yeah, either their yeah. mom has been killed or their father has been jailed and they're caught in the middle. And right. that's, I never thought of that.
2: So, and if you don't address those issues, say if if we were not here to even wrap our arms around them and provide housing, if they just left to fend for themselves, because yeah, I could go live with my auntie, but what if auntie is not stabilized herself? What if auntie has 10 pounds of problems way over here and I'm now she's coming in, That child just fended for themselves. So what what that creates? It creates what we see in our community. Because if you look back at all the trauma that we have experienced, and I'm talking about all the murders in the city of New Orleans, think about all those kids that probably went, their mental health went unaddressed.
0: If you or someone you know needs help from the New Orleans Family Justice Center, you can call their main line at 504-592-4005. They also have a 24-hour crisis hotline. That number is 504-866-9554. It's a phone call that could save a life. In New Orleans, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.